0: Hello, listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator. I'm all about capturing and curating career and life stories as a meaningful way to celebrate a milestone moment like a big old birthday, anniversary, retirement, or graduation. And I'm at my best when curating photo books that move your memories from the basement or your phone or your computer to the coffee table, giving you and your family and friends access to these treasured memories for years to come. I also love curating and capturing life and career stories through this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? It's a series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they're not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Listeners, I'm very excited today to be interviewing Chris Natsky, who is a life leadership coach and keynote speaker.
1: Welcome, Chris. Hi, Kathy. It's great to be here.
0: And I am so excited to be interviewing Chris today. He and I met about five years ago in a Master Network chapter. And um anyway, he's got a great uh, you know, a great service that he provides and what he does for a living, but also I know he's got a great story, and I'm looking forward to diving into that. We're going to pause for a moment to hear from a very happy Life Story Curator client.
2: My name is Eleanor Allen, and I recently finished a project with Kathy about my mother's life story. And the reason I wanted to do her life story was that she's first 91 years old, and second, we've been talking about it for years as a family. I have four brothers and many nieces and nephews, and we had never gotten around to making the book. Then one day I was out with another friend who is a mutual friend of um, of mine and Kathy's and she showed me the book that Kathy had made about her parents 50th wedding anniversary and I thought right then and there this is the answer. I gotta hire Kathy to get this life story finally done for my mother. So I did and working with Kathy is just a joy and a pleasure. So first how do you organize somebody's 90 plus years into a story that's succinct but also very interesting and Kathy helped guide myself and my niece and one of my brothers I have four brothers one of them worked on this project with us intensely into the the uh, storyboarding process and then working into okay these are the chapters of our life we're going to work on which we went by decade And then for each decade of her life, what do we need? We need this many pictures and this many um, vignettes. And then Kathy also brought in this great idea to put in QR codes of recordings. I hadn't even thought of that, but we did several of those. Some are my mother's um, audio recordings. We captured some of those audio files. Some are video recordings of her telling stories of her life that we have in the book, but of course much more detail when we have the recording. And some QR codes are also documents So we put a link to my father's autobiography that he had written for us before he passed as well. And my grandfather's autobiography that my father had done uh, interviewing my grandfather. So very special. And those come to life as well in the book. So I encourage you, if you have any inclination of documenting someone's life story in your life, definitely go for it. It's worth the work and the the product in this case my mother's story is absolutely wonderful and she was over the moon with joy so don't wait do it document the life of your loved ones or whatever special occasion there is and work with Kathy and you will have a wonderful experience
0: welcome Chris
1: thank you
0: And uh, let's start with the icebreaker question. So tell us where you grew up in the world or what part of the country, and also share where you were in the birth order of your family and how you think both those things, the geography, but also your birth order help
1: shape you as an individual. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was born in the Midwest. I was born in a little town in southeast Wisconsin, uh, 30 miles west of Milwaukee, called Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and um, has a little bit of a... um, of a reputation to it in that it's the only city in the nation that has five O's in its name, O-C-O-N-O-M-O-W-O-C. So I have a little trivial question with where I grew up. Um, And, you know, certainly growing up in that environment, was there's, I think, a great, it was a great place to grow up, Um, a little town. It was also the first uh, city in the nation where the Wizard of Oz was screened. How about that? be a question cool. right but three little lakes surrounding it about 10,000 people i always used to joke uh, 10,000 people in 13 taverns so it had a good wisconsin ratio <laughs> and uh you know growing up in that environment it was um, um a very nice well-knit community i think it was also instilled in me midwestern values whatever that means of hard work and friendliness toward others and i think i grew up within that and you know in some ways i grew up probably as a big fish in a little pond at some point, but it did prepare me for some other exciting points in my life. And in terms of my birth order, I'm the oldest of of three children. And I think that also really impacted me because I think at a very early age, I was asked to be um, probably the responsible one Mm -hmm. and the one that my brother and sister were five and six years younger than me, respectively. And so what I did is it taught me, I think, early in my life responsibility i think it also impacted the type of parent i was because i you know in some ways i can uh, and that's part of my story i'll probably share later but i probably did a lot of parenting of my uh, younger brother and sister as well so it helped me prepare for that when i was a father of my own kids
0: yeah yeah i gotta tell you you firstborns have a a, a big burden right it's like it, in the beginning you get all that uh, one-on-two time with the parents, right? He had all this attention, and then all of a sudden, you have to share that. And not only do you have to share it, but now you're going to have to. Well, you should know better. You're older, and you should take responsibility. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, I think it's a pretty tough road. I'm, I'm a middle in a okay. second. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I got to see a lot of that. And of course, right. I was probably the one that got parented by my
1: sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: And I also love what you said about the Midwestern values. You know, it's mm-hmm. funny, when you grow up with that, you don't know, what's you don't know you're growing up with Midwestern values, you just know you're growing right. up, right. And yeah. so you yeah. don't know any different. So you kind of move away from that. And then you know, you hear people talk about right, the Midwest values and all that.
1: Yeah. And I also, I think, you know, and I'll go back and visit, I just think my experience has been—I'm not saying that I don't haven't seen this in other areas of the country because I've lived all over the country—but there's a innate friendliness, at least that I grew up with. I mean, we all kind of knew each other, and it wasn't—it uh, wasn't unusual for someone that you didn't even know to come up and say hello and strike a conversation. I think my dad was really good at that as well. You know, he was kind of Norm from Cheers. You know, when he walked in. <laughs> everyone knew him and and so uh, I guess I kind of learned that and just by nature became much more outgoing and gregarious in those settings even though in some ways I'm an introvert I think but also being able to hold my own in conversation and meeting new people
0: yeah and seeing that as a role model and an example plus mm-hmm. there's a lot of people in all those pubs like you said so <laughs> you're right that's right to get along, my,
1: so. my my entire city could have gone in in and each been in a tavern all at one time you know what I'm saying I mean uh, <laughs> But I don't think that's unusual for that part of the country.
0: Yeah. So what activities did you do as a young person?
1: Well, you know, I started out um, loving just, you know, football and sports of that. And that eventually became something I actually played uh, in Division One in college. But the one that really impacted me and still impacts me to this day is when I was 10 years old, I started my martial art training. And so that was back in September of 1973. So, for those of you with a calculator, you know how long I've been doing it. So, and it and it really became my my life work. So I, you know, ended up doing it professionally for several years, and still am very active in that community. Still have students all over the Denver actually all over the country. And so I've been um, I've been a martial artist for this is my fiftieth year. And so I started that with just a little chubby ten year old.
0: Wow. So what got you into that? I mean, that obviously shaped you for the rest of your life. Oh my
1: gosh, absolutely. It's probably, you know, uh, one of the most, one of the most, if not the most influential aspect of my life. I started because of that time, Kathy, there was a TV show on called Kung Fu. Oh,
0: I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: right. Some of you more seasoned listeners will remember (laughs) that white chain cane and grasshopper walking across the American desert. And at this time, People need to understand that martial arts wasn't the way it is today where you see a school on every corner. It was really quite foreign. And so I I begged my mom to let me go to my first class because I was just so enamored with it. And as soon as I got there, these guys, I saw them doing these amazing, powerful movements and kicking and punching. And I literally felt like I came home. And um, so that was really the origin story. And i have literally not stopped outside of maybe having to take about three, four months off over the course of four years when I was playing college football and wasn't able to train in martial arts. Then because of the schedule I had to keep, I've been at it ever since.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, that is so cool. You saw it. You were drawn to it. Then you go check it out and then you just have this inner knowing and this yes. feeling of, this is this is where I need to be. And yeah, then now and what, and what that's led to for your whole life. I mean, that's crazy.
1: That, that's absolutely. Awesome. And what's so interesting about that is the martial arts in the early to mid 70s was very different than it is today. It was mostly uh, attended by men in their 20s. Okay, um nowadays, you may think of martial arts as a kind of a kid's activity. Yeah, uh, yeah right? Well, that didn't happen until the the karate Kid mo- movie came out in 1980. That's when all the kids came into the martial arts studios. Uh, but up until then, I was training with adults from 10 years old on.
0: Yeah, so you were kind of the phenom in the beginning.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I was uh, I also took my share of lumps, but that's okay. It toughened me up. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, awesome. Well, you've already talked about that you're an introvert.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I usually ask that question next. Introvert. Yeah, it's
1: whatever that I, I'd like to say, I can't remember the name of the term now. I think I'm a pretty good balance between the I'm two. Yeah, I am So I can, I'm absolutely fine in public and I can have a great time, but I also enjoy my downtime and being by myself and being contemplative. So um, yeah, I when I've taken the, the tests, I always seem to go right in the middle. Yeah. Um, you know, as a speaker, you have to have that aspect of being able to, be comfortable in front of a room Mm -hmm. um, and in front of a a crowd, but, um, but yeah, I also enjoy my time by myself.
0: Yeah. 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 I'm in, uh, down the middle on that too. Uh, and I always attribute that sort of in, as being a middle child, I'm kind of down the middle on a lot of those personality (laughs) tests, so I kind of can wave, uh, one way or the other. So, okay. On the fun meter on a scale of one to five, one being a couch potato and five being the life of the party, where do you put yourself?
1: Oh, you know, I'm probably around middle of the road. I mean, I can, I can, I can keep a room going if I need to, and I think part of being a—that's part of being a speaker. But also the martial arts. I've been, I've been uh, either assisting or leading martial arts classes since I was 14. So being able to be in front of a room, be a kind of a ham, I can do that. Probably more so in a martial arts setting than in a social setting. Um, but I'm also very comfortable sitting with one person or a couple people and just spending an evening that way. And having, you know, really good conversation.
0: Yeah. 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 When you, when you know you have to hold the room, you can bring it right. But you also can just be fine again, one-on-one. You
1: know, a lot of people during the pandemic, uh, clients that I've worked with and friends were like, oh my gosh, I, I just need to get out there. I need to be with people, et cetera. And I was okay. I mean, I did a lot of connecting with people on zoom, right. So I, maybe I kind of held it that way, but, um, yeah, I was all right
0: yeah yeah it's funny my husband always said uh we're we're built for um being isolated or built for being a quarantine and i'm like well sweetie you you might be built for that but it's funny when you do find that you're in isolation i think that sometimes you do crave the other when you yes, had your fill true. of it's your introverted true. alone yeah. time i'm like okay i'm ready now and he is a introvert and um and yeah he's like i'm built for this i'm
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> i'm built for isolation <laughs> Okay. So on the risk meter on a scale of one to five, one being low uh, risk taker, five being high risk taker, where do you put yourself?
1: Well, you know, that's a very interesting question because I think growing up and in the early parts of my life, I would have said I would have been on the lower end of that scale. Um, You know, just try to tell me what I need to do. I'll, I'll, go with the company line. That happened in my early career coming out of college. But now I look back at my life and I've taken some pretty big risks. I mean, uh, leaving my position in corporate America after 10 years with a great company to pursue my lifelong dream of owning a professional martial arts school. I think that was a pretty big risk, particularly yeah. since I was the sole breadwinner I was married at the time and I had two small boys. And then, you know, 17 years after that, when I decided, wow, I, I martial arts will always be part of my life, but I don't want to run a school anymore. I'll run the organization, but I want to move into being a speaker and a life coach. Then I left and changed careers again. So I think that, uh, you know, as much as I would say, I, I am less of a risk taker on some things. I think that when I look objectively at it, I think I have taken some pretty profound risks in my life.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I love these questions, these icebreakers, and how they kind of set the stage of kind of who you are as a human, right? And brings that that element of how you grew up, who you are today. So, so let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be a life leadership coach and keynote speaker, and then we'll get into how did I get here?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the first things that I've really come to learn, it all came as a result of me going on my own path of personal and professional development. So I think inherent within the martial arts, we're always looking to be on the edge of improvement. We we have a, a principle in martial arts we call KANAI. It's an acronym that stands for Constant and Never-Ending Improvement. And so I found myself when I made that career move back in 1995 to open up my school, that there was a lot of things that came up, a lot of fears that came up. And so I had to be able to work through those. And I also realized that if I was going to be in the position of teaching and leading in that kind of a setting, I need to always be working on myself, not just from a physical standpoint, you know, from a martial artist. I mean, I kind of viewed myself and still do to an extent as a professional athlete in terms of how I presented myself physically, but I also knew I needed to go a little deeper with that. And so I was going on my own journey, my own spiritual and personal development journey of taking a little bit deeper dive and how I could be, uh, greater self-expressed, how I could, you know, move through some of the, some of the maybe, um, wounds that I had in my own life so that I could be the very best father, husband, uh, leader that I could be. And as I was moving through that journey in my own way, then I started feeling and seeing how it integrated within the way that I was teaching martial arts. And as a result of that, things started to expand. And then one of the ways that I was, um, promoting my school was I was speaking. I was going out to man if, if people would fog a mirror, I'd speak right So I was going I was going to a lot of schools, middle schools, elementary schools, high schools I was going to you know public functions, etc promoting my school and I started to realize that I you know I was pretty good at this and I had people that would confirm that. so then I thought, wow, what's the you know I've, I've been on this personal and professional development journey and I really do enjoy speaking. And, um, and also what I was doing, doing a lot of coaching to my students within the martial arts world. Right. And I was working actually with a coach myself. I was at a point, maybe about 12 years into owning my martial arts school and no, just feeling, I I wanted to do something different. And he came and he watched me. He observed me at my school, interacting with my students. And we met for our next session. He goes, why don't you look at coaching? He said, you're basically doing that. You know, and I see how you interact with people and so on and so forth. So it kind of grew from that. It kind of grew from that. And I don't know if that's the best path, but it's my path
0: <laughs> So how do you find your clients now, then? Who's an ideal client? Yeah. For
1: you? well you know it it'll oftentimes i work with small business owners in fact tomorrow i'll be doing a onboarding with a, a partnership in, who are in financial planning you know owning your own business for 17 years like i have uh, there are definitely some things that i've learned through that process so i love working with the entrepreneurial group i think that there is no greater personal development program on earth than being an entrepreneur that's just oh, yeah. my opinion, you know because it you're the only one that uh, has to get through their their stuff. It, it brings up all the stuff, at least it did for me, that I need to work through to get successful. I couldn't pin the blame on anyone else. I had to take 100% responsibility for what I was creating. And so I love working with them because I, I also find that entrepreneurs have a sense of purpose in what they're doing. They're not just going and punching a clock. They're generally doing the work they're doing because they have a passion for it, which I, I totally can relate to. And they want to make themselves a better person because they realize that the better person they become, the better their business will be as well.
0: Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Well, Chris, man, we've already covered so much territory here.
1: Uh- <laughs> I told you this to busy. You just told me I had to talk yeah, about Yeah, just talk
0: about yourself. Oh, you know. So let, let's go back to then junior high. So we know you've already been doing martial arts for quite yeah. some time and probably achieving yeah. in that. But did you think at the time, were you thinking... Uh, it sounds like, you know, maybe owning a um, your own yeah. um, gym would be a kind of a goal in life. But did you did you really think you wanted to be a coach or did you think you were going to be a keynote speaker? What no, did you no. want speaking, your career to speaking
1: be? Speaking and coaching, no. In fact, when I was growing up, I had no idea that that was even a career. Okay, right, and yeah. in fact, you know, you could think about speaking's been around forever, right? I mean, that's for mental I am. But, um, but coaching, that's a relatively new Uh, industry right Mm -hmm. but owning a martial arts school I have to say absolutely yes in fact just over my shoulder here I have my file cabinet and in that file in those files I have a autobiography that I wrote when I was 11 years old I was in fifth grade and it was a school assignment we had to write our autobiography and as any 10 or 11 year old would do, you would, you know, okay, when I was one years old, I had my birthday party and I put my birthday cake on my head. And when I was two years old, I did this. And and then when it came to 10 years old, I wrote, um, when I was 10 years old, I started taekwondo. I am now a blue belt. And one day I want to make it my profession.
0: Ah. So Since
1: I was 11 years old, that seed was planted. And it was something for a while I thought I wasn't going to do, particularly after I got married and had had children and moved in and was working as, again for the top consumer products company in the country and was feeling very, I was satisfied, but I wasn't totally fulfilled in that work. And my wife at the time, who we had actually grown up together and she was my high school sweetheart, I, I even though we're no longer together, I had tremendous gratitude for her She knew that that had always been my dream. And so we had moved to several cities after I started my corporate career. I started in Chicago where I went to college and then moved to Southern California for four years, then Cincinnati, Ohio, and then Denver and all in an eight year span. And when we got to Denver, she looked at me and she said, you know, I know you've always wanted to do it, do this in terms of owning the martial arts school. Our boys love it here. I love it here. Why don't you go for it? And so I have tremendous gratitude for her because I may still be selling shampoo and conditioner and deodorant if it weren't for her pushing me, uh, <laughs> what would happen. And it was not only the most exciting time in my life when I made that decision, it was also the most most petrifying time in my life.
0: Petrifying, risky, like all exactly. those things we've already talked about. Yeah. So what did you decide to get your degree in? Uh, sounds like maybe well, marketing or- in, uh,
1: Well, I was, when I, I went to Northwestern University, and they did not have an undergrad in business; they had one of the top business schools in the country. So I got my um, I got my my undergrad in communication studies. And interestingly enough, I chose that <laughs> quite honestly at the very beginning uh, because it was the one major that I didn't have to take a foreign language. Um, <laughs> all, all things being honest, but interestingly enough, now communications—that's what I do for a living, right? So it ended up being the perfect. Um, The perfect major for me. And then I graduated in 1985 and then waited several years. And then in 2013, I went and got my master's degree in spiritual psychology from the University of Santa Monica. So a little bit of time in between, but all those skills I had accrued throughout the years in business, personal development, spiritual development, all work, you know, obviously set me up for exactly where I needed to be in from 2011 to 2013 when I got my master's degree.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when you were in corporate, then was it a communications role or was it more of a marketing? Yeah, role? I was
1: in sales. So, yes, sales. I was in okay. sales. And then uh, later on, when I was promoted and put on a special assignment in Cincinnati, I was working uh, directly with the brand groups, helping them with new item um, introductions. And so as a result of that, I was doing a lot of sales trainings. So I would you know, be in front of a room of 500 salespeople. And so not only one-on-one sales, but then being able to do uh, sales and training later on, um, you know, the speaking, the communication uh, aspect of that certainly helped me.
0: Yeah, obviously. Yeah. And then you're in front of big, large rooms, right? I mean, that gives you a lot of confidence. And And, as I said
1: before, I was already used to that, teaching martial arts at a very young age. I was, when I was growing up in my little hometown, um, by a series of events, I ended up being the head instructor at our little school at the community center, our little club, and I was only 16 years old, and I was teaching adults.
0: Wow. But
1: it was natural to me, and and because of my ability to communicate effectively, and I think I had a, probably going back to the whole idea of being the firstborn, I had an inherent maturity to me, so people thought I was in my 20s, but I was 16 years old running that program.
0: Wow, yeah, so, you know, commanding commanding a presence, uh, a room, and, uh, you know, leading things. So, yes, then you're in front of 500 of your colleagues talking about, you know, product and sales and marketing. It's (laughs) very natural
1: for you, right? It seems to be kind of natural. And, you know, growing up in that, I didn't really understand it. It was just who I felt I was. Yeah. But looking back at it now, I feel like, man, based on what I'm doing today. The other thing that's interesting, this is just a little side story. I had told you that several of my students were adults. And one of them in particular was a guy who was a art teacher at one of our at our my rival high school, but he was one of my students. And after I left to go to college, I lost track with him. And probably about five years ago, he and I reconnected on Facebook. And he asked me if I remember an article that was written on me in the local newspaper on the front page of the sports section. And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. I was literally at that time getting ready to test for my second degree black belt. So I was 16 years old, I still, I mean, now I'm an eighth degree black belt. This is my, I I was still a first degree black belt at the time. And he said, you know, I still have that article and would you like me to send it to you? Cause it's basically in pristine condition. So I said, absolutely. So a couple weeks later I get the article and I now Kathy, I hadn't read this since, you know, 30, 40 years, right? Cause it was when I was in high school, hadn't even graduated yet. And interestingly enough, when I say I'm reading it, the things that I teach today in terms of the benefits of martial arts and life leadership were basically the same thing I was saying when I was 16 years old.
0: Wow.
1: I mean, wow. I mean, from a 16-year-old perspective, maybe, but it was still the same thing. So that's why the work that I do now as a speaker and as a coach, it's kind of the work I've been doing my whole life and probably wasn't even aware of it.
0: Yeah. And, and, it's, and in a way, it's just who you are. Mean, yeah, this is. There's no. Oh, this is my career and my job, and then I go home and do this. It's you know, it's all, all encompassing. So, wow, fascinating. Well, Chris, I'm curious when when you decided to open your own business then, or your own what did you call it a school or a gym or what? Yeah,
1: we call it a school. Yeah, a school.
0: Did you keep the corporate job for a while and then you know start this on the weekend, or did you? Yeah, jump yeah. Off jump off the cliff.
1: Yeah. Yes and no. Yes. Oh. And no. So, so this is how I originated it. Uh, I started a martial art program at my son's grade school. So, I was teaching three nights a week at the grade school, and this started in April of 1995. And I had this dream, as I've already shared, of opening up my own school, but I thought this was a year or two off. And one of the moms of one of the students was a real estate agent. And she said to me, She said, You know, uh, we were in a conversation. I told her that this was my dream. And she said, Well, you know, if you want to get retail space for a school, you probably need to start looking now if you're, if you want to have one within a year, year and a half. So this was in April of 1995. I said, Absolutely. I think I agree. We'll start looking. Where my original plan was to wait. Right. Well, by July, I had found a place and signed a lease. And by November 1st, I was moving into a commercial space.
0: Wow. So, so talk about warp, us, speed, yeah. right?
1: warp <laughs> speed. Now I, my full intention was to keep working with my company for another year or two. And my wife at the time came to me and she said, listen, you have your, your professional career, you have your school and you have us. You can only do two of those. Well, choose. <laughs> so I literally opened up the school on uh, November 1st of 95, and uh, left my professional career on, I think it was the 19th or the 20th of that same month. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm flying. Now, what worked to my benefit is I brought about 40, 50 students over from the grade school I was teaching at. So I already had enough students to cover my bills, right? Oh, Not my expenses. Fun. I couldn't yeah. pay myself yet, but I could cover my expenses. And so, and then, but then within a year, Uh, I had over 200 students at that location. And to put that into perspective, the average school in martial arts in 1995 had 80 students in it. And within, within five years, it grew to 500 students at one location. So that was the, I mean, I've been very blessed in my life, but that was the one time I realized as difficult as it was to get there because of all the fear and consternation I went through, it was the one time I truly knew I was on purpose because the universe once i made that decision just everything it was green lights
0: yeah green lights yeah. everything just opened up well and i i love how you gave gratitude to your wife and acknowledged yeah. that she basically said you can't do it all That's you right. know you you got to pick and you know and by the way family is a full time oh <laughs> and yeah. it's a big you know so how do you put that as a priority and 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 she took a stand for her and the family right
1: yeah, absolutely and i cool. again to this day super super grateful to her uh, for that, you know, number one, starting me on that journey. Cause I don't know if I would have had the courage to do it, leave, leave work, but then, yeah, you know, take that leap. And I'm not saying that's for everyone. I think that there are some people that I coach in the martial art world. I say, Hey, why don't you give it six months? Why don't you give it a year? You know, but I've also seen people that end up doing it forever, right? They're 15 years into it, and they're still doing it part-time. And they're it, 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 it has a real, it can have a real negative impact on the family. My boys grew up at the martial arts studio, right? Yeah, I
2: figured. They I did, literally yeah. got
1: to see them every night. I got to teach them, or my students taught them, and I've literally had that discussion with them, and they've thanked me for being able to have that experience. So it was really the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know you, what? What could have happened is you stayed in corporate, and then you get to a point in corporate with such uh, golden handcuffs, right? There's the bonus package, the right. the um, the employee discount or stock, stock programs.
1: Absolutely. And,
0: and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I just got to wait one more, you know, until I get this bonus, or I got to wait one more year. And next thing you know, you wake up and your life is you're in your forties and you're like, exactly. wow, I didn't do that. And, and then I also get that you can just, it's easier to stay in the, the thinking that this is just my side hustle. And it's not my real thing. I, you know, I don't know. It's all about identity, right? Well, You know,
1: what, it, what ends up happen, having, or happening with those people. And again, I want to just say there's nothing wrong with it if that's what they're choosing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Just in the world of martial arts, martial arts, if I would have maintained working with my um, my company, martial arts would have been my hobby, not my profession. And so that's the distinction when I coach people particularly people that are looking to move into it is like, if you want to keep it as a hobby, that profession, we need to look at this differently. Right. And it's going to take a different level of commitment. And again, I'm not advocating that as soon as people have the inspiration that they quit their job and no, that's not what I'm saying, but have a, have a plan, have a path, you know, not just I'll do it whenever it happens because you can wait for that forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can wait for that forever. I always say, you know, have benchmarks. I'm going to do this for a year. This is my plan. And during that year or six months or whatever, two years, I'm going to have certain benchmarks. And when I get to that point, this is where I'm going to be making some personal and professional choices that will serve me in doing what I want to really do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's important to have those benchmarks. I had a friend who owned a business and and there was a lot of struggles and there was, well, I'm just, I'm going to give it to the end of the year. Well, what does that mean? Uh, what's the ben- Well, what are you going to decide at the end of the year? You're right. just you're just kicking the can down the road. What's the benchmark on? Is it going right. to look different? Do you need more clients more revenue? Um, yeah, what's the what's what that's the-
1: one of the things I do in my coaching. I think that I'm very effective at is helping people understand those benchmarks and say, Okay, what does, what does this future look like? You know, Not like I just want more clients. No, what specifically do you want? What type of revenue do you want to be creating? And importantly, what do you need to get there? Not just hoping that it happens, but what are the steps? Now, it doesn't mean that it's always going to look that way. It may look worse. It may look better, right? But the one thing we can always control is what our intention is and what our actions are to support that intention. And many people that I've seen, entrepreneurs that I've worked with, they kind of hope it happens or they just keep doing what they've always done. But if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep getting what you've always gotten. Right. So sometimes it means you got to step out, particularly out of comfort zones to do some things differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Chris, you've had such a very purposeful an intentional life. It sounds like any times of transition or times, I mean, you've already described these two big points for you, yeah. but what about, I mean, did you ever end up feeling stuck and feel like, ah, you know, tell us about those times. Cause you know, you're, you're talking about this and there's all this energy and I get it, but sometimes people are like, you know, when you look back it you can, Uh, kind of gloss over how hard it was or you know but when you're in that time now that's what I want people to be able to relate yeah
1: well no I'm happy to share that Kathy and it's an outstanding question because I think you're right we we live in this world of social media where everybody looks like they're all living their ideal lives, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're looking at your you're looking at your friend, and they're in Cabo again, and you're like, oh my gosh, I you know I just I, I can't I can't ever take a vacation, whatever. And we're all living those lives, right? I just want everyone to know that. And I'm happy to share the story. And I and I didn't share the story uh, a lot until maybe a couple of years ago when I realized that it was important as I was speaking. And I was working with clients to let them know that I've gone through struggles as well. Because what it does is it brings us, it makes us human. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, my mom, a little brief story. I, this is early in my speaking career. And it I wasn't getting as many gigs as I wanted to. And I was calling up, I called her up one day and I was venting. And God bless her, she listens to me. And so after I got done vomiting all over, she said, so I have a question for you. I said, okay. She goes, um, you want to be one of those motivational speakers, right? And I said, yes, yes. She goes, do you think if you've never gone in through any challenges in your life, anyone's going to want to listen to you? And right, mind blown. Yes, mom. Because I was always thinking I needed to be in front of a room just telling everyone how perfect everything had gone. Mm-hmm. That's not the reality. So with that as context, let me tell you, I, I've already uh, mentioned briefly that I believe being an entrepreneur is the number one personal development program on the planet. And for many of us, it's not only the most exhilarating time in our life. I'll ask audiences they always raise their hand. It's not only the most exhilarating time in your life, it's also the most petrifying time in your life. And so what happened with me is I was um when I was made this decision, I had already shared with you how fast it happened. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden I'm at the precipice. I got to get ready to leave. I'm going to be doing this business. And no one at my company outside of one of my best friends knew I was planning on making this move. And I started having panic attacks. Okay. Mm I, um, big, tough karate guy. I, the head, you know, the room was spinning. My heart was palpitating. I mean, it was, and it would happen at almost any time. And I didn't even know when it was going to happen. And so the closer I was getting ready to leave, my position in the corporate world and open up the business, the more intense they started becoming. So one day I was at a company function. We were having a sales team meeting. And um, in the middle of the, of the morning, I started having a panic attack. So I was able to get myself to lunch and went to the restaurant with everyone. And uh, then it was like game over. I was like thinking I was ready to jump out of my skin. And for those of you that have ever had panic attacks, it's one of those things you really just, at least my experience, I had no control over. I mean, I tried to get into my breath. I tried to think about other things. And man, if my thought just caught on to one of the fears I had built up in my mind, it was game over. So I went to my boss and I said, listen, I'm not feeling well. I need to go home. Now, in 10 years of working with that company, I had taken one sick day. So he, he looked at me and he said, okay, man, yeah, go. Right. Yeah. Well, I left that meeting and I'm dating myself a little bit because this was before cell phones. So I drew I drove up to remember those old um those old telephones in like parking lots where you can just oh, drive yeah. so I drive <laughs> up
0: booth. It's just a yeah, right, exactly. phone. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> it's it's a, it, it's a gas station parking lot and I drive up to it and I call my church and I want to speak to my minister, and he's not in but an associate minister is there. So to this day, Kathy, I have no idea how I made that 25 minute drive to Lakewood. Right. So I get, I get to the, the administrative offices of our church and I see Dr. Marjorie and just this beautiful woman. She's probably in her seventies, this big, big full head of red hair. She's incredibly vivacious and I absolutely adored her anyway, but I come into her office and, uh, I uh, begin to tell her what's going on and I'm rocking in the chair. You know, I, I'm going to start this business. I, I'm the only I'm the only breadwinner of the family. I have two small boys. And the next thing I ask her is I say, uh, do you mind if I lay down on the floor? So I continue to do that. And next thing I know, Kathy, I'm in the fetal position. So to this day, I still remember her calmly standing up and walking around me. <laughs> and going to the phone on her desk and calling my wife and saying, hi, honey, it's Dr. Marjorie. Yes, he's with me. No, he's not doing very well right now, right? And so she cleaned me up and got me home. To this day, I still don't remember that drive home. Now, I had already been running the martial arts school or the club out of the grade school, so that night we had a belt testing. So all the students are testing for new belts, And I went and did that belt. I officiated the belt testing with not a glitch, but after that, I crashed again. Mm. And so my wife took me to, um, uh, to Swedish hospital, to the emergency room where they, uh, put me under observation, had me stay the night. They sedated me. And when I woke up the next morning, the doctor, the emergency room doctor said, if I wouldn't have been such a well-conditioned athlete, I most likely would have gone into cardiac arrest.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So it was real. At least it was real in my mind. Yeah. Well, one of
0: the things I was going to ask Chris was, how did you know these were panic attacks and not a physical, uh, you know, like it was a heart
1: attack? Yeah. And I had gone, I had gone to, I believe I had gone to a doctor before that and was asking in the oh it's panic attack you're just nervous about this move etc but they just get kept getting progressively worse
0: yeah more intense wow
1: oh so i like i said that was a super turning point in my life i was literally on my back for you know in bed for two weeks afterwards and i got out of it and with a lot of help a lot of counseling which again helped me in terms of the work i'm doing now right because mm-hmm. now i understand what it's like when people are going to be making major life changes what can come up because all my stuff was there. I had lived a life where things went pretty smoothly and I was kind of Mr. ultra successful, never had a glitch. And all of a sudden I'm coming up against this, but I got through it. And what it did is it made me appreciate number one, um, all the support and love I had around me. Number two, it helped me go deeper into my spirituality. And number three, I realized something I What's so ironic is when we're going through those worst times in our lives at least my experience is we get in this tunnel where we think there's no other options and if this fails we're we're, we're totally toast. Well, Kathy, I was 33 years old at the time. You know, if that business would have gone belly up, I would have just gotten another job. You yeah. know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: But in my mind I couldn't see that. But it certainly helped me because it forced me I don't like using the word force, but it or strongly encouraged me to really look at my stuff.
0: Yeah. And I went
1: into counseling, I and I got coaching and I realized that all this stuff that was happening, it was basically created in my mind. And the beautiful thing about it is if I could create it in my mind, I could discreate it in my mind. I could think more empowering thoughts. I could, I could, I could take steps that were empowering for me, et cetera. And like I said, once I got through that. I not only appreciated what I had, but I had, I created tools or, you know, I, I I took on tools that would help me through that. And now doesn't mean that I never have fear or anxiety, but now I have the tools to go through it. And I think as being an entrepreneur, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, um, a standard operating procedure. You have to be able yeah. to go through those times in order to be successful.
0: Yeah. Wow. Chris, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that. That's, that's, That's a big life event. Uh, I've had a little bit of uh, anxiety um, episodes, panic attacks, things of that nature in in my life, too, and gotten through it in different ways. And um, but you do have to talk about it because then it gets less power over you. There's not a stigma about it. And and why I I like sharing it, too, is because I want people to relate. And again, know this fact that, again, from the outside, we would have thought, oh, because he was a martial artist, he had control of the brain. He had all this discipline. He, this would have, so for you to bring this up is like, you know, very powerful and very impactful for folks. So thank you for sharing that, And that, which then compelled me to then share what I've gone through. I'm, I'm not going to yes. go into any of my detail because we don't have time for that right now. I've shared it in some of the others, but it does help. And this is part of why I create this podcast is that as I was in corporate up and coming, I remember putting people on a pedestal. And I always felt others had more or something better, different than I did. I was kind of in that not enough space. And so, but once you start hearing them, and I I remember still getting in the car with the boss at lunch and she uh, had been listening to Metallica. And so it was blaring. We get in the car and it's, what? And I'm like, wow, I just never thought of her as a a hairband. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it brings the, you know, she's just a real person and she grew up in Iowa. I mean, it was just like, wow.
1: Wait, well, wait, you know, wait, the other wait, thing people? that, and, and I learned this later on in my journey after that incident. And then as I went into my own personal professional development journey and spiritual development journey is that I had one of my teachers tell me once is that 100% strength comes from 100% vulnerability. 100% strength comes from 100% vulnerability. And, and, you know, I This is a general statement because I think it works in both genders, but I think men have a greater propensity of not wanting to share and trying to take it on all themselves and keep a stiff upper lift and and not show any emotion and, and don't show any weakness. And what ends up happening is it comes to a point that if you don't deal with that stuff, it's going to deal with you right yeah, I, it's and gonna that's right i'm actually grateful for that time in my life now that i had it at a relatively early time because i see some men go through this in their 40s and 50s and then end up doing some really dramatic things with their life i having it at 33 as painful as it was i don't want to i don't want to go through that again but it helped set the course for how i was able to not only live my own life but also lead and coach and train others
0: yeah yeah wow yeah being grateful for finally getting through it yeah (laughs) you're you're like oh this is oh
1: my god it's awful what is
0: going on but then when you get through it and then you can look back on well i made it through that and i made it through that so well chris oh man thank you again for your vulnerability uh i'm sure we could keep talking all afternoon and um what is so interesting is there's so much great juice as we get in the middle of this stuff but we do need to start wrapping up so we keep these uh conversations at a uh you know a manageable size so Uh, with those wrap up questions, I've got two. uh, tell us if you would, when you look back on your career and your life, uh, what do you think has served you best? And that could be, you know, a characteristic, a strength, a habit,
1: a discipline. I think, um, one of the things that I learned early on, again, through martial arts, but also I learned it in athletics. When I played college football, I learned it. I had some great bosses when I worked corporately is to lead by example, Mm -hmm. Right. You know and and that that can sound like a cliche right but vulnerability is part of that as you said when your boss was blair metallica you could relate to her i think that what many leaders don't do is they don't allow themselves to be human and i'm not saying that you use your relationships with your employees or the people you're leading as your therapy sessions that's not what i'm saying i'm <laughs> saying that we're we're human and when we fail and i think this works in parenting as well is to be able to admit that and then show how we're able to move through that, right? And so I think that then also lent to a ability for me to be relatively empathetic with the people that I leave. I love this way of looking at it. I had one of my coaches share this with me. As a coaching leader myself, we often talk, talk about the idea of holding others accountable, right? Mm. Accountable to their actions and what they say they want to do. And I, I'm all into that. But I also think that sometimes that can seem maybe a little condescending. So the play on words, if you will, that my coach taught me was, is to hold other people capable, hold them capable of their greatness right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means having tough conversations. But I think people will relate to if they've seen the human part of you, they've seen you move through obstacles and do it valiantly, even if we fall on our face again. And then they're much more willing to take your leadership and coaching if that's how you show up by leading through example.
0: Yeah, I like that term. You know, it's it's interesting how language can really refocus you and who you're being if i'm holding someone accountable that feels very stern and heavy but if i'm holding them capable or you know that's that's a different that's very different and yet and they want to rise to capability right rise to accountability is like okay that's hard uh but
1: what happens is it becomes a distinction from a have to to a want to yeah you think about that oh i have to do it because i'm accountable to this no i get to do this or you know right Because this is who I am. I get to express myself. There's a whole different energetic inside of them.
0: Totally. Totally. All right. So last question then, and then we'll have to do the wrap up. Uh, Any words of wisdom? You've already shared so much, but any words of wisdom that impacted you at a time where you were challenged or feeling stuck or in transition?
1: Well, I I, interestingly enough, Kath, you asked this question. uh, I literally just blogged about this maybe a month ago. People can check my blog. I'll let them know how to find that later on. But when I first started my work in the corporate world, it was my first day of work. And, you know, you're doing your onboarding and whatever, and you're learning about company policies. And my boss brought me in the office and we had this great conversation. And he he said something to me that it's probably now 40 years ago, and I still think about it often. And when I was leading teams, um, I would always tell my employees this as well. But he said to me, he said, Chris, you can come to me with any problem. Just always come with a solution. Mm -hmm. So the idea there was, is if I have a struggle, in this case, was business or life, come to me with it. Absolutely. But don't just come and say, help me. Say, hey, I'm having this going on. This is what I think I should do. Or I thought about this. And this is what I think the next steps are. Give me your feedback. Because what he was teaching me was, is, when we look at it that way, we come at our challenges from an aspect of account, of a, of um, responsibility, right? We're, we're, we have ownership in them, and when we have that, now we can have a dialogue versus just having someone tell you what to do. And that, and from that place, we come from also a place of empowerment because it's our situation. And now, if we've already thought. Of a way that we would work it, hey, and you might go to your boss or leader and they they put you on a totally different track. But at least you went through the process of thinking for yourself so that you have some ownership in the situation.
0: yeah, absolutely that that is awesome. and and I love what you said there about um, come with a and here's what I've been thinking about as a solution, because the other side of that is you don't have to have all the answers. and no one can have all the answers. The boss can't, you can either. But yeah, but combined, think about the power of once you open that space and here's what I'm thinking, give me your feedback that gives them the opportunity to give feedback. And that gives you a chance to say, I've done a lot of thinking about this in here, or maybe I've got two or three things I'm, I'm grappling with, but I can't figure out, you know, maybe the best direction. And now you get a little bit more clarity. So wow, love that. Well, Chris, I knew this was going to be highly energetic highly insightful oh my god it's uh and it and it did not disappoint so thank you good. so much i'm so glad i ran into you the other day at Campus yes. book signing yeah. Yeah, yeah. and i uh, got the chance to say hey i want to interview you man so and thank you for taking the time and sharing your story today it was really powerful
1: thank you very good you're welcome
0: and listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below and you will be alerted when new interviews are published. If you have any questions for me or you want to check out Chris's blog or you have any questions for him, you can find this interview and I will post his social media information on my website, lifestorycurator.com. So that's where we you can give me that social media, Chris, and we'll have it out there. So on that note, I'll say stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing those stories. Have a great day.